Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. So, Joe, RFK Jr. says he's planning a big announcement. What's he going to say? Well, word on the street is that he's going to announce a independent run for the presidency of the United States. He's up till now been a Democratic Party candidate, uh, which, you know, he's not gained a lot of traction, nor has he tried to gain much traction with Democrats. He's been more popular with conservatives. Uh, So that will make him possibly a spoiler in the 2024 election cycle. But uh, the chances of him actually getting to the White House are pretty low. That's Joe Hagan, special correspondent for Vanity Fair. He has profiled everyone from Stephen Colbert to Henry Kissinger, and most recently, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He also used to host this very podcast. So let me welcome you to it. I'm Brian Stelter. Welcome to Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, where today we're going to go inside the Kennedy family, specifically RFK Jr., and that long-shot presidential campaign that you've been hearing and reading so much about. Uh, Joe, we know there's this announcement planned in Philadelphia next week, but when you spent time with RFK, he said to you, even if I was going to run as a third-party candidate, which I'm not, I'd probably take more votes from Trump than I would from Democrats. So when did he tell you that he was not going to do what he's now expected to announce next week? Well, when I asked him directly, I asked, you know, would you run— as a third party, um, because a lot of people are wondering how it is you can call yourself a Democrat when a lot of your uh, campaign rhetoric is about how much you dislike the party <laughs> and how, uh, you know, why are you running as a Democrat? I asked him repeatedly. Um, the most receptive people in the media have been conservative uh, right wing uh, podcasts and TV shows and Fox News and Tucker Carlson and uh whose name he mentioned a lot during our interview. Uh, So that was the sort of um, inquiry that I was making to elicit that answer. And he obviously lied or changed his mind. And his comment to you was only about six weeks ago. It was it was in Mm mid-August. So that makes me wonder either something on the ground has changed. Right. Mm -hmm. Or he had a plan for this all along. But but why don't we why don't we back up? Yeah. Who was who is RFK Jr.? Up until the moment he decides to mount this run for the presidency, what was he up to in recent years uh, for people who are uh, blissfully unaware? Well, he's been in a, a strong advocate for the environment. He has, uh, you know, a storied history uh, helping clean up the Hudson River uh, from toxins, um, you know, put into it by 
General Electric and different uh, companies. And that was probably during the 80s and 90s when he's a lawyer. He has a firm that does environmental uh, work. Um, But about 20 years ago, there was a a pivot uh, when he began to take up the cause of vaccines. Uh, He began to make the case that uh, vaccines caused autism. And that was in the pages of Rolling Stone and Salon 20 years ago. That story was later debunked and uh, retracted by both Rolling Stone and Salon. And then more conspiracy theories of this kind followed. Uh, there was one, another one published in Rolling Stone was his belief that the 2004 election was stolen. And, uh, you know, many, many, many more conspiracies have been added since then, including his belief that the CIA may have had something to do with the death of his uncle, JFK, and possibly his father, Bobby Kennedy Sr. Uh, And I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, if you you Google RFK Jr. and conspiracy, you can find out the laundry list of things that he's gotten into. And one of the big questions among uh, his oldest friends uh, among people in his family uh, is what happened here. You know, why is he doing this? And so that was all kind of on the, um, you know, horizon line, uh, when I went to go see him in Hyannisport at the Kennedy compound this summer. And at that point, he'd already been running for president for about three months. Uh, he announced back mm-hmm. in April. Uh, he had an event in uh, Massachusetts, and then he went on Tucker Carlson's show that night. It was just a few days before Carlson was fired by Fox. Yeah. So he's been out there for a few months. He generated a lot of media attention at first. And arguably, he had a, a bump in the polls as a result. Is that fair to say that he had he did have an immediate sort of um, um, certain amount of uh, excitement about his candidacy? Well, sure. I mean, he's a Kennedy. Right off the bat, you've got this giant brand name that has a lot of recognition. And before you even know what his policies are, you might be into the idea of having a Kennedy, you know, of the vaunted Democratic Kennedy family suddenly inject themselves in a race in which Joe Biden, there's a lot of doubts about him and his age and so forth, things you know about. Uh, So, you know, the kind of uh, path has been lots of excitement a kind of surprising number of Democrats willing to consider him. And then as people learn about him, that has shifted somewhat. Um, you know, the the conspiracy theories, the anti-vax thing. Um, and, you know, there's yet a whole other group of people that like this, right? And they draw from both the right and the left. And uh, we can get into this, but in the last many years, I think people have observed that there is a little space where both far left and far right meet. And it and it basically uh, comes together on a general paranoia and distrust of institutions and the government. Right. The lower you rank on trust in institutions, the more likely you are going to be to be interested in RFK and what he's saying. Right. But there was this sugar high of his candidacy. Yeah. And then I think by the time you saw him in August, correct me if I'm wrong, that had really abated. There was not the energy that there was in April and May. Definitely. He certainly was not getting the media attention that he was getting in no. April and May. Did no. you feel like you were kind of showing up late to the scene? Tell me about your decision to Definitely. go and spend time with him. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> well, yeah, sure. I mean, because there had been a really um, terrific profile of him in New York Magazine by Rebecca Traster. And uh, it really got deep into his history, his psychology, the various conspiracies that he's got out there and, you know, why it is and he's doing it and who he is. And it was pretty thorough. 
And, uh, you know, I thought, well, um, there's other kinds of stories you can do about people. And uh, one idea I considered was, well, let me do a story that's sort of like a shorter piece that is a little bit more uh, what it's like to be around him and find out if there's anything beyond all of the kind of conspiracies and the and the um, you know overheated rhetoric. And is there still some kind of Kennedy charm there to be had? And in the, right. que- the question I had in my mind was if I could get him to take me to the Kennedy compound because he had recently posted – after that Rebecca Traster thing, he had re- posted an Instagram, Twitter, some social media video of him on a crow's nest of his home overlooking the Kennedy compound and kind of saying, this is you know my history with this family and we've always been – uh, a family that sought, you know, justice and equality in America and so forth. And he was really using that backdrop. And not long after that, there were articles in the press about how the family wasn't really into this, right? They were not supporting his candidacy and in fact, were criticizing it on the record. So I thought it might be interesting to see him at the compound, have him talk about his family history and talk about that tension inside the family. And this, as I describe in the story, he calls me after I emailed him, and we began to have a conversation about his feelings that the press has been unfair to him, his sort of feelings that he probably won't get a fair shake in Vanity Fair, which has done other stories about him and his conspiracies. And uh, so I basically said to him, well, listen, I'm going to be out in the Cape anyway. I could come visit you. Um, I'm going to write it as a first-person thing. I'm going to be as transparent as I possibly can with you. I'm not going to pretend this is like, you know, I'm you know, a lot of people in the right, and, and in, in this case, RFK Jr., uh, are paranoid about the press, and they think they're being manipulated uh, by standard, objective-looking journalism. I know that sounds like a, an irony, but, but I said, well, if I'm going to write this from my own point of view, and I'm going I'm to go in with my mind open. And that's how it began. And I thought, well, I can, I can write a story about this, like a, a short encounter piece, if, in, <laughs> you know, was my idea. And you encountered some family members, uh, like RFK Jr.'s uh, daughter, Kick, uh, yes. who I came away very impressed with. Like, she was my favorite character in the story. Absolutely. It kept <laughs> making me think about, what do you do in this famous and huge family when your father, one of the relatives, is running for president, but on this platform that involves a lot of lunacy? So so what's the answer to that? Because RFK Jr. has an answer to that. He says, yes, some of my family members have broken away, but others are still supporting me. That's basically what he says, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he didn't name who those were, and it was never clear to me who those family members were. Um, oh, the support. You mean the supportive ones? The supportive ones, yeah. I mean, oh. certainly his wife, Cheryl Hines, the actress, has been you know, marginally out there by his side during some of the campaign um, stops. Um, the funny thing was that I guess was interesting to me was his daughter was just there on vacation, essentially. And she came in, I told her I was a reporter for Vanity Fair and she didn't blink an eye. She was not, she didn't become defensive or uh, paranoid <laughs> or like, oh, I better get out of this room because I don't want to talk to this guy. She was like, oh, <laughs> hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like she was used to this kind of thing. It didn't phase her at all. Right. And, um, and then she, when I told her, as I report in the story, um, you know, that I, that RFK Jr. was late uh, to meet me and it didn't look like I was going to get a chance to, you know, tool around the compound with, with him. 
she offered to take me up to that crow's nest I mentioned earlier and kind of give me the lay of the land at the Kennedy compound, which she does. Yeah. All right. I, 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 she's a great tour guide, as she says. Yeah, and she was there very were, charming. And I did, obviously, after the fact, uh, kind of wish that I'd spent the entire time with her because she was so much more fun. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as she says in the story, hey, you know, if you were going to stick around, I'd have gotten the golf cart with you and taken you down and shown you, you know, other parts of the compound. But too bad right. you got to go and do whatever they're going to force you to do, she says, you know. Right. And so you go off with, with the candidate. Does it feel like a real campaign? I mean, is that how it felt to you in August? Because he's about to try to make it an even more real campaign with this expected announcement of a third party run. I know. It, it didn't feel uh, well managed to me. You know, it felt like a shoestring operation as far as I could tell. But you know, we're in a modern media landscape in which maybe he's thinking, I'll do any press that comes my way. And although he says that he likes podcasts better, um, which he, I think he likes being able to control what's happening in the moment. You know, I would say his skill set is he's a lawyer and he's got lots of different kind of facts and studies and things that he'll throw at you. And it's kind of like a, a swarm of bees coming at you and you you're listening to all of his things and you can't really figure out how to fact check them in real time. Um, so, you know, his campaign, like I said, uh, it's not out of the ordinary necessarily for a candidate to be late for an interview, but like an hour late and then he shows up in his swim pants. Maybe he thought this would be uh, kind of colorful for me. I don't know what he was thinking, but he was out <laughs> doing something else when I showed up. <laughs> and then he spends so much time bashing the media. Uh, right. So let's talk more about that right after a quick break here on Inside the Hive. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. <laughs> but whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. And we're back here on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter speaking with Joe Hagan. Uh, his piece about RFK Jr. is up on VanityFair.com. And it seems that RFK Jr.'s main pitch to voters is that the mainstream media won't let me speak. So yeah. I'm I'm going to run for president to speak to you directly. And mm -hmm. so far, he says that hasn't worked out either. It's it's a very, it's it, it almost as if he's operating on a loop yeah. where it's it's all about his allegations of censorship and him being censored. So we can't really tell you what he's thinking. Is that how it felt when you were with him in person? Uh, yes. And it was maddening. 
because I was like, I'm here. You've got me. What do you want to say? You know, I mean, just say the thing. I mean, and then he's like, you know, you can't be, tra-. He's, he's attacking me as a part of that while I have a microphone there saying, I'm giving you, here it is. Here's the uncensored tape, you know, and then he's saying, oh, no, your editor won't let you put it in. And he just, yes, it's it was like uh, ridiculous, really. And then when I would point out, like he'd say things, well, you've never, you never hear about X, you know, what name your conspiracy that he's dropping on me. I say, well, actually, I have heard about that. I've read it in the news, right? And he goes, well, <laughs> you haven't read all the things that I hear, you know? And so, yeah, it's, but it's also a classic thing, Brian. It's like, it's the fake news Trump concept is like, it, there's no, with a certain crowd, with a certain voter, there's no loss in attacking the media and there's only gain. And he, in fact, says right on the record in the story, I ran for president. I decided to run for president to circumvent the media and get my message out there. Meanwhile, <laughs> he cooperates for Vanity Fair, New York Magazine, The Atlantic, and all the standard things. So there's some kind of like disconnect there or he's just being disingenuous. Um, and I do think that he's decided that aiming his sword at the media is going to be one of the virtues of his campaign. And he feels that his anti-vax message has been censored by the government and the government and the media are in somehow in cahoots with the tech industry. And he sees all these kind of grand conspiracies to block his ideas. And um, I don't know, I just, I wasn't buying it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and he and- didn't like that. I will say. And you're far from the only one that, that doesn't buy it. Yeah. Um, he says he's not anti-vax. He says he's pro-safe vaccine. But then, as you point out, he recently said in a podcast interview that there's no vaccine that is safe and effective. Right. So how do you prepare to interview or talk with someone who is is in that mindset where yeah. um, they, they play word games, they, they play semantic games with you, mm-hmm. uh, they say one thing, but they mean another, mm-hmm. they tell conspiracy theories? How do you prep for that? Well, I'll be honest, I prepared by reading his memoir, American Values, I believe it's called, and it was about the family history. And because I was going to the Kennedy compound, I thought the best research would be like to learn about the family history and his view of family history. And by the way, his memoir is a spin on the fa- on the family history because he talks about, you know, the history of Joe Kennedy. Uh, and Joe Kennedy was against uh, foreign interventions, and there was some cases to be made that he was— uh, if not sympathetic to Nazis, was willing to look the other way. And Bobby Kennedy Jr. tries to make a case that, you know, no, he was just uh, really a nationalist and, you know. And he's trying to connect that to what he's doing, which is he's against U.S. support for the Ukraine war. And it's it's all a little funny. So I was preparing for that. Um, but, of course, I'd read about his conspiracies. And I just— my, in my mind, I was like, there's no real uh, upside to engaging in a you know battle over these conspiracies. I've seen enough articles where they mention what he says, then they go look up the data, and it's not true. And at some point, you realize, you know, it's not like I'm going to convince him of anything. And each of these conspiracies could suck up the entire time I'm with him if you were to get into a debate about them. So I'm in many ways, it was trying to avoid all this stuff uh, to try to find out if there was anything more to him. Right. See the person, see the compound. Yeah. Right. That's because you want to know, like, 
And my other big question going in is, does this guy have a sense of humor? Can I talk to him? Can we make, can it be, is he funny? Is he interesting? Have you ever seen a president over the last 20, in your adult life, since you've been covering politics and media, any presidential, um, well, winner, any who's been in the White House who hasn't had some sense of humor? Like, no, and of course, some, Trump fans think Trump is very funny. Right, he's, and he's Obama funny. Obama knew exactly he, he how to yes, be funny. And, and charming, Obama, charming, yes. Yeah. That's right, charm, humor, a sense of being able to connect, and also being able to, you know, with that comes a skill of deflecting the media if you really want to, but you don't like right. attack the media in their face necessarily. But in any event, <laughs> I just wanted to see what if there was anything more to him which at the beginning you asked me why I was doing it. I was trying to see, is there more to him? And one of the things that it was a subtext to this whole thing was that Bobby Kennedy Jr. and I had a mutual friend. And one of the ways I was able to kind of connect with him is, hey, I had an editor who was a mentor of mine. Peter Kaplan was his name. Also happened to be roommates of uh, Bobby in at Harvard uh, back in the early 70s. And so he said, well, if you, know, if you were a friend of, Peters, then maybe I can trust you and, or I hope I can trust you. And so we had that, you know, connection. And so I thought, well, maybe because of this is an opportunity to kind of like close the gap a little bit between that journalistic antagonism and who this guy really is. And so it was even more disappointing in a lot of ways that he was kind of humorless from the beginning. And then he began to bully me over being in the press and I didn't appreciate it. And so the more I mm -hmm. pressed him, the more irritated and angry he got. But that history, um, you know, the, the Harvard connection, um, coming from a family of standard bearers in the Democratic Party, I guess the question that swirls around RFK Jr. is, what happened? Yeah. Uh, how, how did he end up in this conspiratorial mindset? Did you come away with any any stabs at that answer? Well, I have some, I, I have a theory, and, you know, I don't elaborate it on it in the article, uh, though I, I sort of tease it a little bit, which is that in his memoir, first page of the memoir, he talks about the Kennedy family, you know, feeling like they were always on a grand crusade, that they had, they were trying to, you know, bring their values to bear on the American story. And that he says, if I could have a heroic role in that, then I would be, you know, fulfilling my destiny in some way. And I began to think of him as almost like Don Quixote, right? He's sort of like tilting his uh, his staff at windmills, but like it's things that aren't even true. And that he, he but he he's got an ego of of such that he needs to be feeling like he's, you know, on some kind of grand crusade, and he's uh, got the sort of righteousness on his side. So, why, but why these conspiracies? Why all of this stuff? And I just think if you look over the last 20 years, I've been somebody who's covered a lot of conspiracy-minded people and in the, in the emergence of conspiracy in American media. You know, I, I uh, profiled Alex Jones uh, many years ago, and um, I did a story on Goldman Sachs after the 2008 economic collapse, and there was a lot of conspiracies around that. And conspiracy became a thing. And it was a world of, in which you could get attention by paying attention to it. And I think he's found a route that, you know, the more he, and because he pioneered this whole, you know, vaccines are evil thing, uh, you know, here comes the pandemic. And I think it catalyzed uh, this world that he had a connection to, which was skeptics of vaccines. And he's just run with it. 
He's getting attention for it. He's getting ego fulfillment. And these people tell him, you're a hero. You're a hero. You're a hero. And I think that that it's sort of bonded with his own mentality. Um, And, you know, there's other elements of this too. Maybe you've noticed that he's jacked up. If you've seen pictures of him shirtless, he's a 69-year-old man whose body looks like he's about 25. And you can ask yourself questions about how that is. And he's admitted on the record that he's like into, you know, quote unquote, organic testosterone, whatever that is. And I don't know, maybe that can alter the way you feel and think and view things. I would never quote uh, a competitor of yours, but you mentioned Rebecca Traster and the the way that she described that situation. She said, like, his brain trust appears to be the hyper online, hard right masculinity, masculinity influencers. That's right. Give him the approval he craves. And that that's exactly what you're describing about people worshiping him as a hero. They do it over his physical fitness. They do it over his vaccine rhetoric. They they give him community and a sense of belonging and and more than that. Yeah. And if you look at all these kind of small bore influencer. They're all these bros. It's this bro culture that's like overlaps with crypto and all these other kinds of things. And he likes those guys. He, right. he connects with them and they connect with him and they see him as having a certain machismo and he's always got his sleeves rolled up and his sort of Popeye forearm sticking out and he looks tough and square jawed and they kind of like his, you know, his whole presentation. Right. And then it's anti-establishment. So that's you know, they find that cool too. And in, in many ways, he's like the crypto version of a candidate, right? Because he's outside of the institutional banking. He's outside of everything. And so people think, oh, he must be the truth teller, right? Um, so this is the Elon Musk thing. This is what we see Elon all Musk the time thing. from Musk now. Totally. And Elon and he would probably get along swimmingly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, So there's that. And, you know, let's look at it. What is the ramifications of it politically? We have yet to see. But there is obviously a percentage of the voting public who's looking for that, right, and connects to it. But how big a percentage? Let's get into that right after a quick break. If you're enjoying what you hear, and we hope you are, we'd welcome a rating and review from you in your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to click on the follow button so you get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Here we are back on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. We're talking with Joe Hagan about his profile of RFK Jr., who is teasing a big announcement in Philadelphia later this month. Uh, so, Joe, we were talking about how the expectation is that uh, RFK will, will give up on the Democratic primary. He will run as a third party. Uh, there are already uh, pollsters and uh, super PACs and groups, you know, working on this, trying to plot it out. How would it work? Uh, what would it look like? Um Let's talk about the possibilities here and, and who benefits and who suffers. There's been all this speculation you've seen. I think you've been tweeting about this. You know, uh, will it help Trump? Will it help Biden? Will it help anybody? What's the current read on that? Well, it's a very good question. And it's a sort of a jump ball at this point about like what that will actually mean. I, I tend yeah. to think that he'll draw from both in this 
in mm. this sort of like melange of voters out there. I think if you were to look at the polling on anti-vax, anti-lockdown, you know, and it's a greater percentage on the Republican side, but there's a percent of Democrats who, you know, don't want to be forced to do a vaccine, for instance, if they're going to go into a public place or, you know, whatever, all the rules that are sort of left over from from the pandemic and, you know, the stuff that Ron DeSantis has turned into a calling card for his own candidacy. I think there's some percentage on both sides that are going to be into that. Now, you know, if you're looking at the electoral politics of 2024 in a state-by-state thing, you're going to have to drill down into, okay, well, what are the swing states? Um, Look at the anti-vax voting percentages there, and you could probably kind of crunch down on that. Oh, that's so interesting. Use the vaccine sentiment as a proxy for RFK Jr. support. I I think that's what I, in my mind, that's what I do because it's all he talks about. It's all he talks about. And it it bleeds into all the other conspiracies he has, which is like a a distrust of corporations, a distrust of, uh, you know, chemicals of every kind. It basically is paranoia. And I'd call them that's the paranoia vote. And there Mm -hmm. it is out there. Right. You remember, right. Alex to your Jones, point, he, it does come from the left and the right. But exactly. when it comes to the Democratic primary, you know, there, there were polls showing RFK Jr. as high as 20 percent, I think, against Biden at one point. That's right. Uh, since then, not nearly at 20 percent. But no. that indicates what? There's a sliver of Democrats that were curious, RFK curious. That's right. And then isn't there an argument that there's a, a bigger chunk of, of conservatives or Republicans who are yeah. RFK curious, given how much Fox and the right wing media machine have hyped him up? That's right. And so the question will be, um, are there enough like Trump skeptics in the party uh, to kind of make that transition? Because, you know, Trump is the, you know, the go to for most of that party. Right. And for the very activated part of that. Now, flash forward eight months from now or 12 months from now, Trump may be kneecapped by then from all his legal woes and he may look very unrealistic, right? As you know, in these election cycles, you roll into the fall of 2024 and people are going to be getting real pragmatic real fast. They're like, we want to win this thing. You know, we don't, or we want to protest the fact that we're losing, right? And so that's going to drive possibly people to some third party candidate, right? But ultimately, I mean, there's another question, which is, is RFK Jr. going to even be a thing eight to 12 months from now. I mean, I will say that I've interviewed lots of people uh, for my story who I talk to, you know, in private or on background. And, you know, there's lots more to come with Bobby Kennedy Jr. in terms of the reporting there. He has a very weird history and a very dark history. Um, You know, he was a drug addict for many years. He's been married three times. His second wife killed herself in a very tragic and horrible situation. And uh, there've been reports of his interactions with women over the years, which were covered uh, in an article in the Atlantic magazine. And there's a lot more that may end up being reported about Bobby that, uh, you know, may um, dissuade voters and hurt his campaign. I don't know, but I'm just throwing it out there because it's the thing. Joe, RFK Jr. is going to say you're part of the conspiracy now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, it's <laughs> part too late of the for media that. conspiracy. <laughs> but I think you, you and I know the reality, which is uh, if if he runs as a third party, and that's going to shake up the uh, the primary election uh, maps, it's going to shake up the polling in various ways that are unpredictable, and as a result, it's just natural 
editors, assignment editors, producers, they're going to want to write and cover RFK Jr. more. They're going to look for new angles. They're going to look right. for untold stories. Mm-hmm. There's just a just a natural reality of, of how that could happen. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more curiosity about who he is and about his past. Yeah. And of course, he'll turn around and say that's part of the media out to get him. Mm-hmm. And people who buy that will buy it. But we watched as that percent of Democrats went from 28 to whatever it is today, probably single digits. And like, you know, that's because they read things in the press. They learned what it is he actually believes. I mean, um, I'll just give an example. My parents are basically Republican voting people. and uh, But they were Kennedy curious, as so many were at the start. And they said, oh, this guy sounds real reasonable, right? Because he's attacking the press and attacking Joe Biden. So they kind of liked that. And that was interesting to them. And then the more they learn about his beliefs that, you know, 5G networks are going to give you brain cooties or whatever the hell, you know, uh, you know, they start to be, um, that's not so great. You know, maybe there's, I don't know about this guy now. So it, it really is going to come down to um, who, who is immunized against conspiracy theories. And uh, there's some that aren't. There's a lot of people out there that just conspiracies speak to their distrust. But um, ultimately, you know, my feeling and I think the feeling of a lot of people who know him and and people in his family, certainly, uh, this is not great for the Kennedy name and the Kennedy Mm. legacy. I mean, until he decided to run for president, the Kennedys were not really in the in the media stream of recent years. You know, you don't hear a lot more about the Kennedys until suddenly, bam, his, he's connecting the name to uh, lies and falsehoods and misinformation. And I, I find that to be kind of sad and tragic. He, he also avoided your questions about Trump's indictments, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't want to talk about those yeah. uh, in part because he's trying to appeal to that audience as well. Right, and this may have been a little foreshadowing of his running as an independent because he was very strenuously avoiding alienating Trump and Trump voters while actively trying to alienate Democratic voters, which I found ironic. <laughs> and and, I, and so, you know, in the, the thing that got him really furious was I just was like, why are you doing this? I mean, it's just the most obvious journalistic question. You went back to what, you know, how did you prepare for this? I just prepared for it by asking myself, well, what do you want to know? Well, here's what I want to know is like, why are you doing this? How, you know, why are you even running as a Democrat when no Democrats like you and you're making your bed with Tucker Carlson, right? You know, it just seemed bizarre. And I kept saying to him, well, don't you think that uh, Trump is sort of like an animating force in the Democratic Party and that's what Democratic voters care about? At least it's one right. big thing they care about is not having right. him be president. Don't you think you might gain some traction from that? And then he went back to his First Amendment thing and censorship and blah, blah, blah. So he just kept weaving away from it. And to me, that was telling. Very telling indeed. Well, Joe, everybody should read your piece at VanityFair.com. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thanks for having me, Brian. And once again, that was Joe Hagan, special correspondent for Vanity Fair. This episode of Inside the Hive was produced by Gianna Palmer. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. And we had engineering assistance from Jake Loomis and mixing by Bob Mallory. I'm Brian Stelter. You can find me on Twitter at 
Brian Seltzer, also on Threads, same handle. Or feel free to email me anytime, bselter at gmail.com. I'm always grateful for your feedback and ideas for future episodes of this show. We'll be back in your podcast feed this time next week. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.